How do you get better at music or anything when you no longer have a teacher? Let's talk about that next. Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of the Musician Toolkit. I'm your host, David Lane, and it is great to be with you once again. Nearly two months ago, I shared an episode about quarterly review and the, and the power of having a quarterly review. If you heard that episode and you see the word review again in the title, you may think this is a similar thing, but this isn't quite the same thing. You can take what we're talking about today, which is a performance review, and you can probably incorporate it as a quarterly thing that you do. In fact, some of the things that I'm going to talk about, I recommend doing this quarterly, but this is a separate entity. So I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I'm talking today about a performance review. This is something that you can do whether or not you have a teacher for whatever subject it is, for composition, for your instrument, or if you're trying to get better as a professional and you have a business coach. Chances are, if they're very good at what they do, they may be including some kind of performance review. But I think whether or not you have a teacher, and especially if you don't, having a good system and the discipline of a performance review for various aspects of your life and your musicianship, I think that is very important. And so I want to go ahead and talk about this today. So one of the things that inspired this particular topic I believe I've mentioned this before probably multiple times, but I was, I was very focused as long as I was a student. Now, you know, middle school, high school, you know, I, for, for me, it was just get out of there. <laughs> that was, that was kind of my mindset, but I, I enjoyed every year of college and grad school. And really when I graduated with my final degree, I felt completely lost not having a mentor, not having accountability. And it took me really many years for me to even start to gain some traction. And I feel like I've done a good job of improving year after year. But I think this is actually a common problem for music students when they graduate. They've had regular lessons and now they're responsible for everything. So if it isn't a problem with getting used to setting goals, or maintaining or, and you know evolving a practice schedule, finding work, or any other things that adulting now involves, there's a whole big problem of no longer having a teacher. How do you get better? How do you correct mistakes? And how do you push yourself to be better at what you're doing? So the good news is, is that you can correct all of these things, setting goals, improving your practice schedule, finding work, and getting better at your craft. And it's all with a single action, and it's called a performance review. And as I said already, you don't have to wait until that day comes that you no longer have a teacher. A performance review plus a teacher is the most ideal. It works with or without. It's just more essential if you don't have one. So what is a performance review? Well, if you work for someone else, like if you work for a company and you have a boss, there is a good chance that you will have a periodic performance review where your supervisor will evaluate your recent work and they'll share with you what they think you're doing well and what needs work. 
a good performance review is balanced. It's helpful. It'll, it'll allow you to and encourage you to keep up your strengths. And it will also encourage you to address or minimize your weaknesses. When you're applying it as a solo musician or an entrepreneur, a performance review is when you take a moment and you look at yourself in the third person. So <laughs> you're one body, you're one mind, but you're splitting your roles. You're stepping back to view yourself as if it is someone else who just happens to look like you and do what you do. So you want to pretend that you are the teacher or you are the coach or the consultant, and you want to step back and look at yourself as the student or the client. So if someone just like you is practicing a certain way or trying to figure out their career path or anything outside music, such as losing weight, staying disciplined to a habit, learning a new language, whatever it is, how would you advise them if you knew something on the topic and you could step back and you could see where they might be going wrong? Well, that teacher is you and the student is you. The client is you. You need to play multiple roles here, but you can learn to do it. And when you do, you'll discover the secret to self-learning and self-improving. So let's talk about all the tools you need to do a good performance review. It, it's a lot, so you want to write this down. You need a video camera. You need an audio recorder. You need a document file or a notebook to write down observations and make suggestions. And actually, that's it. <laughs> that's all you need. You just need three things. And there's a good chance that all of that is on your smartphone or your tablet. You need a video camera to take video of what you're doing. You need an audio recorder to record the audio. Sometimes it, you, you only need the video camera with the sound on. And you just need something to take notes on. You know, so that could be your notes file, could be a Google Doc, it could be whatever you prefer that'll help you keep things organized and keep it in one place where you can make observations. Something else that I have mentioned on this podcast before, but probably more passingly, and I want to elaborate on it now, and it's called the 80-20 principle. And I want to mention that because one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do when you're doing a performance review is to, whenever possible, to do what's called an 80-20 review. So when I was planning kind of the flow of this episode, I, I originally thought this is just something that I could put toward the end as a bonus. But the more I thought about it, the 80-20 review, in my experience, has become one of the most powerful types of performance review that I've ever learned. And I think the sooner that you can learn how to do this type of review and to develop the regular habit of applying this to every aspect of your life, the better. So the 80-20 principle, it's also known as the Pareto principle, it was popularized mainly for investors and those in business by the author Richard Koch. But since that original book came out, and he's done several books on the series, psychologists, coaches, and teachers have all found that the concept is immensely powerful, that you can apply to anything. I mean, really anything. Practice goals, career goals, financial goals, health and fitness goals, relationship goals, a marketing strategy, and so on. The 80-20 principle simply states that 80% of your success or your returns is coming 
from 20% of your efforts. So that's saying if you take everything that you're doing, everything, like let's just pick what it was intended for, such as, such as investing. If you were to look at your portfolio and chop it into five equal portions, you would find that one-fifth is doing much better and maybe a lot better than the rest of them. Maybe the rest of them combined. So an appropriate response is to take that 20% that's working and put much more effort into developing and exploring that section and to let everything else go or be reduced. Now, anytime I hear something as neat as 80-20 <laughs> and, and, so, and a rule like that, I understand that this is, this is highly anecdotal and it's probably not something that you can count on all the time. This is probably more observational, something that you're going to find on average, but I have found it myself to be true more often than it's not. And the thing is to keep doing this type of practice and, you know, you may be wrong every now and then, but, you know, if we follow this rule, you might only be wrong about 20% of the time. So one more time, what you want to do with everything in a performance review is identify the 20% that's really working for you and invest more. And that could be more time, more energy, or more money, depends on what's needed, into that 20%. And you do less or you eliminate, if possible, the remaining 80%. And this new prioritization of your activities should lead to improvement. But what works for you can change on a weekly basis, and that's very important. You, got, you have to keep regularly coming back to this and look for the 20% that's working right now, the 20% that's doing 80% of the work, and keep tweaking because it might change from week to week. You'll never find the fix-only-once solution. It's more of a dance, but it's one that, that will move you from one place to another. So you want to ask this about everything and you want to ask it often. So as I talk about types of performance review, I'm going to frequently give you some examples of how you can include the 80-20 principle. So let's get into the areas where you can do a performance review. And first and foremost for musicians, reviewing how you're practicing. Practice is something that every musician should do a, re a regular performance review of. First of all, you can't really do anything well as a musician without high quality practice being a regular priority. Second, and this is the general problem with a lot of things that you do yourself, it's hard to know how you look and how you sound when you're concentrating on doing a task. You're thinking about doing it. You're not thinking about how it really looks or sounds. You don't have that as much brain power as you might think you have to split those tasks up. So you need to separate those tasks. You need to just do the practice. Just do what you think is good. And don't think about how it looks or sounds, but you record what you're doing. And then you go back when you're not having to think about the practice and you observe it. You listen. You watch. And you know you need to do this because how often have you thought you were performing something really well and then you listen to a recording of yourself only to realize you weren't doing as well as you thought. So a good performance review, let's talk about the four elements. I'm not going to go through this every single area of performance review, but I, I want to itemize it here. So the four things you need to do to have a good performance review is you need a method of recording, 
logging, evaluating, and planning. So that's recording, logging, evaluating, and planning. And when I say planning, planning what's next. Okay, so let's talk about when it comes to improving your practice, reviewing your practice. Let's start with recording. There's some benefit to just recording the audio of your practice, but getting the audio and the video is actually better. So just set up your camera or phone at an angle where you can see as much of what your body is doing as possible. Or for a certain practice, you could focus on something you're, you're specifically trying to improve. So maybe you're trying to get better at pedals. So you want to make sure you see your feet or you're trying to work on your fingering or your, your arm and wrist and hand techniques. So you, you want to get the video on your hands as much as you can. Uh, or if you're a brass player or a woodwind player, you're trying to work on your embouchure. You're trying to make sure your mouth shape looks the way you think it does. You want to get as good of a video as you can. And just make sure that the sound is good enough for clarity. It doesn't have to be great. You don't have to edit this. You don't have to share it online. You don't have to post it where it's going to be scrutinized. This is just for you. It just has to be good enough audio for you to learn from it. So that's the recording segment of the review. Let's talk about logging. So ideally, you want to create a template or some kind of an itemization on your notebook in advance before you do this recording and create some categories. Here are some of the many things that you can note. For example, how much time was spent per piece or per section or per, per exercise. You're just making observations as you review your recording. How much time did you spend on certain areas? Listen to your rhythm. How is your rhythmic flow? How is your tempo? And if you're trying to speed it up, how smoothly is that going? How expressive are you with dynamics and articulation? If you don't play keyboard or percussion, how is your tone? How is your intonation? So again, you're writing these questions in advance. It's on a template that you can copy and paste or uh, print out or, you know, however you want, whatever system you want to do to have a new log for each practice session. These are just things that you know you're going to be thinking about. But if there's something specific in that you know you're going to have to pay attention to, go ahead and write that down for that particular session. So that's just logging. You're, you haven't actually answered these questions yet. You've just asked them in advance. And you have it set up on a note file, on a document, or a notebook where you can find it. The next step in the process is evaluating. So you just need to listen to your session often enough to rate how you think you're doing in each category. So in each of those questions that I listed. Now, if it's going well, it could be as simple as just writing good or going well. However, if it is a weakness or a shortcoming, you should never just label it poor or needs work. You need to be specific about what doesn't sound great or what doesn't look great. Why is your tempo uneven? Are you not using the metronome at all? Or is the metronome on, but you're not fully paying attention to it? So logging is, you're, you're observing what's there, but now you want to take this information and you want to create a better practice experience the next time. So your final segment of this performance review is planning what's next based on this information. And this is where 80-20 comes in here. So let's say that you did a 30-minute session. What was the best six minutes of your practice? Is there something you did there that made a big improvement 
that you can repeat and do more of in future practices. Also, look at how you can improve what didn't go so well. So let's once again say that your tempo was uneven, but you were using a metronome. Was the metronome too soft? And could you use earphones or could you somehow make it louder? Do you need to spend more time just practicing something very basic to get used to a metronome? I mean, if you're, especially if you haven't been a music student for a long time, for some people, it takes a while to get used to simply staying with a metronome. I, I tell all of my students when we have a strategy to double the tempo on what they're playing, I tell them that increasing the speed will take no more than half the time it will take to just simply find a tempo that you can play it evenly. That is the hard part for most people. Once you get it there, using the metronome to speed up something is usually pretty easy. So anyways, your goal here is just to brainstorm solutions to make the next practice better than the previous one. And if you brainstorm a solution and it doesn't work, just make note of that in the observation and let's try something else next time. The next area of review that a lot of you are going to want to try to do is you want to review how you are as a teacher. Now, schools do this all the time. I have only taught two semesters uh, in a college setting, but at least once in that school year, I had a supervisor sit in and send me notes on how I did based on that one class. So I think it's very difficult to teach in a school system and not at least once a year go through this type of thing where someone comes in to scrutinize how you're doing in a classroom setting. But if you're a private teacher and you don't have a supervisor, well, this is something that uh, you don't have anybody do for you, but it's very worthwhile to do it yourself. So teaching a lesson is its own type of performance. And just like playing an instrument, you're focused on doing it and you can't always objectively tell how it's going. But teaching is really important for you to review because almost nobody does it just for a hobby. People will play their instrument just for fun, just because they love it. And they don't, they're not expecting to make any money from that. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and that's the type of musician you are, I more than welcome you. I want to speak to professional musicians, but I don't want to say uh, last thing I would ever want to say is that you have to be a professional musician to be a really good musician. Business skills is only one of the 21 tools. The other 20 tools all apply, whether or not you earn a single dollar. But I don't know too many people who choose teaching just for fun. Maybe maybe you're trying to teach you know, your, your son or your daughter how to play your instrument. But usually when that happens, it's more of a, more of a casual system. Uh, I mean, unless, you know, you happen to be Leopold Mozart teaching Wolfgang, but Leopold was actually a professional piano teacher. So maybe that's not a good point. Anyways, teaching most likely if you're doing it, it is usually part of your income and possibly a major part of your income. Bad teaching will lead to students who don't do well. Um, It'll also it very well could lead to problems with retention. So keeping your students and uh, difficulties in getting referrals. If you find that your students by large, you don't, again, avoid the trap of outliers. Well, this person didn't do so well, or this person did great. Look at your roster as a whole, maybe. um, And we're going to talk about this in in, in a moment, a little bit more in detail. But if you're having problems with retention there's there's probably something you that you're doing in the lessons in an average lesson 
So again, I'm not going to break down the four components, you know, but just a reminder it, what you want to do with everything is you want to, you do you want to do recording, logging, evaluating, and planning what's next. So I won't break down those components uh, of this as I did with reviewing your practice. But when it comes to teaching, there are actually two types of performance reviews that you need to do. You need to do a single lesson and you need to do big picture. Now, one lesson may not tell you this. You might want to, as I was once advised to do by a business coach, to take a week of lessons. So kind of watch you teach each student one time, get their permission to record their lesson and just, you know, disclose that it is not to be used publicly. It is only for your own private self-evaluation. And the other type of review that you need to do every so often is a big picture review. So let's start with just the week of single lessons. So you simply want to record a few lessons with your camera, with the audio, and you need a wide angle of the room so that you can watch yourself, how you interact with the student, how you sound when you're explaining something, and just want to just note how how is your teaching style when you have a chance to watch and listen to it? What can you do better in that lesson? And when we're talking about the 80-20, what was the best 20% of the lesson? When was it most effective? When did you feel like you were doing your job the best? And uh, is this something that you can do more of in future lessons? So I want to be candid on this. This was something that I did not too long ago. And this is what I discovered in my own review. I found that I allowed myself to get distracted with notifications too often. So during the lesson, I would read texts or check email. Now, I could tell myself that I was doing this to like check, you know, if any of my upcoming students had sent me anything. But I also might be looking up some information like uh, where I could find some sheet music or where I could find a video on YouTube that has their piece. So I was doing this during their lesson and, you know, could tell that I was not as fully engaged with what they were doing at that moment. So when I got to the planning for the next, for the next time, for the next review, I decided that I need to put my phone on do not disturb and check for emails and text messages only in between lessons. I cannot be contacted, except maybe by my wife in an emergency, in the lesson. And as far as looking at sheet music, looking at videos, well, one of the things that I realized is that I was not doing a very good job of planning the lessons in advance. I was more into spontaneity and trying to just kind of respond to the flow. And there's still room for that, but it's very hard to be a good teacher and to be an attentive teacher if you don't have a plan A and maybe a plan B for each student before the lesson. So like if they if they're not doing well, then we do this, but if they are doing well, then we do that. You need to know what's next, you need to know what's going to happen in that lesson and have all of your things saved and easy to find in advance. And then the other thing that I realized that I was doing is that too often I was doing too much of spoon feeding in lessons. And that is, for example, this is a very easy example, pointing to a note on the staff and telling them that that was a G instead of asking them what that note was and being patient if they got it wrong. And I did this because I'm naturally impatient. There's a chance that maybe you are too. 
Um, I'm still working on that myself, but I'm getting better. But that's something I have to remind myself in a lesson. If I want to be a good teacher, I have to get them to solve their own problems as much as I can. Because ultimately the goal of being a good teacher is to prepare your student to one day be their own teacher and do their own performance review as if they were you. So those are the types of things that you can learn from a single lesson. But now let's talk about the big picture. Now this can be a hard review, but you need to look at your whole career. If you've been teaching for less than five years, but if you've been teaching for five years or longer, you could just take the last five years and just ask yourself a few questions. So for example, are there elements that many of my students seem to have trouble with? And is, and is it because of how I'm teaching? So again, don't look at one or two students that have trouble with reading their notes or they have trouble practicing with a metronome. But is there something that a majority of your students seem to struggle with? Because the, the more often that a problem shows up, the more often that problem is you, not your student. Another question you can ask is, am I neglecting important aspects of music in my teaching? Do my students do well in recitals and competitions? You know how some teachers, that, uh, especially if you live in kind of a mid-size area or larger, it seems like when there's competitions, there are certain teachers, all their students seem to win. Now, you could argue that some of that happens before the first lesson ever begins, that some teachers are in a situation where they're very demanding and picky about the type of student they'll take in the first place. But I do find that how you're teaching your students makes a big difference. And that is why good teachers tend to have more frequently students who develop to become really good players, really good musicians. So if you find that your students are on average not doing very well, you may want to look at how you're teaching. How about are my students practicing? Yes, every teacher, every musician can talk about musicians today and students and not practicing and so forth. And, and I bet there, there's hardly a teacher that doesn't have at least a few students who don't practice. But if you think most of your students are not practicing the way they should, do you have a system in place to not only encourage them and incentivize them, but uh, to teach them to make it easier for them to schedule and, you know, maybe even look at their schedule with them and you know, get them to commit to a time and address it if they're young, address it to their parents. Here's a big one. Here's a hard one. Are my students referring me to other prospective students, to other parents? Now you can get some of the answers from the single lesson reviews that you do within a week, but others are going to take a careful consideration of trends. And again, this is why I say look at five years, because you might have a bad month. You might have a bad six months. You might even have a bad year. It's just like if you want to know whether or not you should invest in something, don't look at its track record over a month or, or half a year or even one year. You want to look at a five year period. So this is why I say look at your whole career so far. But if you've exceeded five years, just take five years and look at the trends. So Again, what systems are you using to encourage practice? How are you preparing them for performances? Is there something about you or your teaching style that diminishes the excitement of your student or it keeps them or their parents from mentioning you? So here's what I discovered when I did this for myself. And it's a really odd thing, but I was ignoring or I was minimizing 
teaching the the musical attributes that were actually my natural strengths, the things that I've never had to consciously work on. And that is memorizing music, improvising, and playing by ear. These are things that I found I was by and large hardly teaching at all. I spent more time teaching the elements that I had to learn with effort. And that would include sight reading, all of my technique, and music theory. And it's not hard to see why. I do believe that you do you are a better teacher at the things that you struggled to learn because you're very conscious of what you had to do to get there. It's sometimes hard to teach something that's that you've never had to struggle with. And so when someone is struggling, how do you how do you get them to learn something that you think was easy? Well, that's that was me being a lazy teacher. I need to learn from someone who does struggle with those how you teach and how you approach and to spend that time and get people to do the things that I find naturally easy as well as the things that I find that I had to really work on. So this problem of not teaching them to memorize, well, that's shown up in performances. A lot of my students have trouble memorizing music. There was a colleague of mine that that I talked to a few weeks ago, and he shared that a fully prepared piece, this was his opinion, A fully prepared piece with the book open is merely memorization with occasional prompting. And that you can't possibly know a piece well without some degree of memorization. This is a big challenge to me as a teacher to make this more important. Also, I looked at how I use social media. It was and it still has a huge void when it comes to sharing student accomplishments rather than just mention my own qualifications as a teacher. So this is an ongoing goal. If you if you go look at my my social media right now, you're going to find I've done a very bad job. There's very few pictures at all or videos of my students. But I really hope that if you listen to this podcast a year after it comes out, that you'll find that that is greatly improved. All right, the next area of performance review is to review your goals. I just think every now and then you sh- you should look at your long-term and your short-term goals. And just ask some questions and give some candid answers. So let's talk about the long term first. Ask yourself, what do I want or what do I still want to do with my life as a career? Why do I want to do it? This question is very important because if you give the right answer, it'll keep you steady on the same goal no matter how things appear to be going at the time. But the wrong answer, it'll either make you shaky on whether or not you should keep that goal or to reveal that you should actually pivot to a different goal. What is the timeline and requirements for this to be a realistic goal? And finally, am I willing to take the required steps to achieve this goal? So let let me once again be candid of how I've used this very thing for a long-term review. So as I've mentioned several times, I wanted to be a film composer. And why? I asked myself why. It's because... I liked creating and collaborating with non-musicians. That's a good answer. But I also, I really just wanted to be famous. I wanted to be the next John Williams. I wanted to be the Oscar-winning film composer David Lane. And that's a pretty shallow reason. I mean, shallow and flimsy. So I had one good reason for wanting to be a film composer. But creating and collaborating with non-musicians is not unique to film. There's a lot of ways to do that. So I didn't... I did not have a reason why I should be a film composer above anything else. So now when it came to 
what is the timeline requirements for this to be a realistic goal? And am I willing to take the required steps to achieve this goal? I knew that I would need to save enough money to move to LA and I needed to give myself at least two to three years of networking. And, and I understand that sometimes it takes five years of this of free to cheap work before I could get good projects. And the answer to that last question is I was not willing or I didn't think I was even able to do all of that. I didn't have enough money saved. I didn't feel like I had the time to wait around to save and then take that time to move. I, if I'd had a good wife for film, for being a film composer, I could have and would have done it, but it all fell apart when I didn't have a good wife for that. And I wasn't willing to do the steps that I knew you needed to be done. So I pivoted and I did this much later than I should have. If I hadn't waited so long to actually do this type of review, I only did it after more than a decade of being stagnant, of living in one place very far from California and trying to figure out why do I still want to be a film composer? So now when it comes to a short-term review, you just simply want to look at that long-term review and then just scale it down to a week and just ask, how am I spending my time? This is what's called a time audit. You write down everything you do, how much time you're spending, and just ask, am I giving enough attention to the goals that feed into my long-term goal? Or am I getting distracted with other tasks? Am I trying to do too much in too many areas at once? Or should I be more focused in just one or two areas? And this is really important. You might have a lot of goals, but it's hard to develop them all at once. It's good to prioritize first this, second that, third this. Okay, let's talk about doing a performance review of your website. This is if you're a professional musician, you should know it's important to have both a website and a mailing list because these are the two things you can control. You can't control social media platforms and their algorithms, but you can control your own outreach and what people see when they land on your website. So I'm not even really gonna talk about mailing lists today. I just wanna talk about your website. When people find your website, look at it and ask several questions. Is my website clear with very few words what it is that I do? A lot of experts say, you know, you can account on about five seconds of people going to your website before they decide to stay. They need a good reason to stay on that first screen, on your header, on your first photo, on your description, and they shouldn't have to read for more than five seconds to figure out what it is you do and then also this next part, can a prospective client tell how, the, how I can help them and why they should either check out my work or hire me? So I want to just say that one one more time. Can a prospective client tell how I can help them and determine why they should either check out my work or hire me? A few more questions. Compared to websites of people who do similar work, does my website look good or dated? Do I have clear, visible, and frequent call to action buttons? In other words, if I want people to email me or go buy a product or buy a service or take the next step, is that easy to find or do they have to hunt for it? Can I provide more of the info needed that will keep visitors on my site rather than looking elsewhere? And have I done the best I can with SEO keywords so that I'm showing up in search results? So 80-20, to do the 80-20 for this type of review, all you need is Google Analytics. Just sign up for that. It's free and you'll get reports 
and you'll be able to look at that and you'll notice times or days or blog posts or videos or something sometime someday that's drawing most of your traffic you just want to spend more time on those areas and doing more things like this and you can really get into this you can find that um, like especially if you apply this to YouTube for example which is I kind of exempt that from my social media things that's that's almost like its own website in a way well YouTube analytics which are also free will tell you things like what people were watching when your video was suggested to them well take that information see if you can do something with it do more of what's working and do less of what's not working let's do a performance review on marketing so this is easy to measure you want to keep track of your activity for marketing your services and all the ways you do it whether it's the the classic possibly outdated hang a flyer at the grocery store or post office to paid advertisements online can you ask yourself can you batch the work to be more efficient perhaps keep some key phrases in an easy to access document that you can copy and paste as needed can you repurpose your content that is for example making a youtube video transcribing it or have a have an ai bot transcribe it as a blog take just the audio as a podcast episode or share excerpts of the video to places that like short videos like instagram or, or tiktok or even youtube shorts also are you sharing where your audience is some of you are looking for younger audiences some are looking for older audiences there are different demographics on each social media platform so make sure that you are sharing your stuff where people want to find it when it comes to the 80 20 principle of marketing always ask prospects or clients how did they how they found out about you and if it's a referral from a person or a business give them a gift or some kind of other incentive if it's someone that you know could give you a good referral give them that incentive in advance if it's a social media platform from a post or a video do more to that platform of that type of post or video now this is very important I, I happen to mention already paid advertising you need to do everything I just said it must be done before you consider monetized or paid advertising advertising with money has not shown to be effective if you simply monetize methods that aren't already working organically while putting money into methods that work pretty good organically it can be what puts you over the top let's do a performance review of your finances the original 8020 book from Richard Koch was primarily about investments so putting more money into the investments that considerably work and do less with those that don't for finances you can start with the above goals we mentioned to make sure that your income is as strong as you can make it this category here that I'm talking about is where you can figure out how you're using that money that's coming in so look at saving and investing are you being disciplined to save some of your money pre-income or pre-spending for both emergencies that you would put in a liquid account for future big purchases and also saving and investing for retirement let's talk about debt if you have debt other than a mortgage how quickly can you pay it off so I'm a numbers guy and I like to attack the loans with the highest interest rate first and then take that payment once it's paid off and add it to the next loan but many people uh, prefer what's credited to Dave Ramsey as the snowball effect of starting with the loan with the smallest balance and then you keep adding that payment to the next loan let's talk about spending 
Are there areas where cutting your expenses might be helpful? So 21 years ago, my wife and I moved into a house and we were coming from an apartment where cable was included with the rent. But now we were moving into a house where we had to decide whether or not to get our own account and start paying cable ourselves. And we looked at how much it cost at the time and we decided to try a month without it. By the way, this was before YouTube. This was before any streaming platforms. Netflix was still a mail order DVD company. So all we had was VHS tapes, DVDs, and a pitiful antenna. Much to our surprise, we didn't miss it. And it, and it saved quite a bit of unnecessary expense per month. So some things you might also want to look at is, are there ways to reduce your food expenses without reducing your enjoyment? And this, to me, is really important. As someone who grew up with a father who was extremely frugal to the point to where he would do cost comparison on the price of milk of two grocery stores, some of that rubbed off on me. And I was always, you know, looking for how I could save some pennies here and there and, you know, maybe a dollar or two here and there. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure how beneficial that is when you start looking at that small of a scale. So I'm not a big fan of what's called the latte effect. And this is another financial author named David Bach who used this term. I used to be quite a bit of a fan. And his idea is that most people have a a habit, like a daily latte of maybe $5, that could add up to a significant amount per month that you could be saving instead. Now, I personally think that if you like lattes or something that brings you enjoyment that maybe isn't necessarily every single day, eliminating that purchase completely will not accomplish a whole lot in your financial world. So as an example there, I once kept our household on a limited data plan for our phones for a long time, and thinking that we were saving quite a bit of money. But we were always anxious about going over that data limit and having to pay a fee or get more data. When $25 more per month was all we really needed to spend to have unlimited data and no stress about it. And there's nothing that I do professionally, not even for 30 minutes of work, that doesn't earn at least $25. This is where I need to spend my energy. Find one more client, not cut out a trivial expense. Now, if you have expenses that aren't trivial, that's something else. Let's talk about doing a performance review of your relationships and friendships. You know, it seems like every week I read how the the biggest killer of health is loneliness. And it's easier and easier to not make time for our friends. So we need to do an 80-20 review of your relationships and friendships. And that's if you'll take all the people you call friends, 20% of them, give you more joy and provide more meaning than the other 80%. So find your top 20% and just write down their names on a list and prioritize to making time to meet with them, to chat with them, or to find out ways that you can support what they do or what they need. If you try to nurture 100% of your friendships, you'll find yourself burnt out and and with not enough time. Now, once you find a top 20%, keep doing this. Do an 80-20% of that list. Find the top 20% of the top 20%. And I believe I did the math right. That's 4% of all of your friends. And give them the most attention. So just a suggestion, if you have a significant other or children, you want to make sure that they're at the top. All right, let's talk about reviewing successes and failures. So things happen in your life. You win an award or you get a rejection and 
you need to do you need to review everything that happens now when it comes to re reviewing successes you might be thinking do i have to review this can't i just celebrate my success i mean it was a success and the answer is no not if you want to make it repeatable so this is a hard truth to learn but sometimes success comes in the short term in spite of what you did rather than because of what you did really successful football coaches they tend not to be very happy just because their team won you'll hear them say things like we got lucky that they fumbled three times or kept missing easy field goals we have to get better at this we have to get better at that so with each success ask yourself the hard question of why this happened is it because of something you did well and can you repeat it or were you lucky and there's something you need to improve to increase your odds of it happening again okay so when reviewing failures really just start with the question first of all is is it a failure or is it just bad luck or bad timing so back to sports back to football one more time sometimes a team will do everything right and still lose like they'll have more yards fewer turnovers fewer penalties but maybe the other team is down four points at the end of the game and they just make a crazy one in a million play like throw an 80 yard touchdown pass in the last second and you look and and every player on your team was doing their job they were where they were coached to be but the other team just made an incredible play that you couldn't have defended so that's not a failure that's bad luck and that happens sometimes it's bad timing or it's a bad fit if you're a composer and a film director rejects your work or a publisher rejects your submission is it because your work can and needs to be better or are you just not the right fit at the right time you can work on the first but you really can't do anything about the second other than increase your odds by just sending more submissions so the last thing that i would say uh, the last question you might have is how often should i do these reviews so i think when it comes to those failures and successes since i just mentioned them you should you should take a few minutes after every single event every time you have a success every time you have a failure just look at it when it comes to practice maybe once a month once a quarter if you're preparing for a performance or a competition, you might want to do a little bit more often. For teaching, I think you can do this once or twice a year. For your website, you should probably try once a quarter. Don't let more than three months go by without seeing how things are going. But you may want to do it monthly. Google Analytics will give you a report each month. For marketing, as often as you can, but at least once a week. Especially if you're spending money in advertisements, you want to see how those things are going. For finances, once a year for your big goals, but once a month for the smaller ones. And for also just checking your budget. For relationships, an overview monthly is good, but your intimate relationships should get several many reviews per week. So that's all I have today. What, what else do you find receives benefit for, from a performance review. How has performance review helped you? You can feel free to send me a message to that. Contact me on my website at davidlanemusic.com. By the way, you can find this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash toolkit. But you can also leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash toolkit. By the way, I forgot to mention that you know, one performance review you could do is when it comes to spending your time. Do you spend too much time trying to keep up with your schedule for teaching and then having to remind students of payments and you know chase down payments and all that well there's an app that does all of that for you doesn't cost that much per month and that is Fonz and you can do that as a, as a free trial for I believe a couple of weeks check out the link in my show notes and see if that might be right for you I would love it if you got value out of this episode to please share it with someone 
And if you haven't already, and you do enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and a review, especially if you listen through Apple Podcasts. That does come in really helpful. If you're listening on YouTube, please leave a thumbs up and please subscribe if you're not already. That's going to do it for today, but I'll be back with you next week. And so until then, thank you for listening.